Thank you, Donnie. Musicians. Matthew chapter 7. Praise to the Father of all blessings who holds us in His almighty hand from which we can never be removed. All praise and glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who bled and died and suffered and sacrificed to purchase that salvation. And praise and glory to the Holy Spirit who is with every child of God, who is our guide, our counselor, our comforter. He is God with us. And His job is to point us to Christ and to the Father. God has certainly not left us alone. He has given us Himself in ways that we cannot even fully grasp. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, I mean verse 12, excuse me. This morning we are continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through this sermon of Jesus that he preaches on a mountain somewhere in uh, the region of Galilee. And we come to one verse here in his discourse that is one of the most famous, one of the most helpful And one of the most dangerous verses in all of the Bible. They call it the golden rule. The golden rule. So let's look at that together this morning. Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, Jesus says, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning you would help us to preach your word with faithfulness, help us to exalt your name, help us to see clearly what it is that you are commanding, what it is that you are doing, and where it is that we should go in our own lives. We thank you for your word, your beautiful word. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the, uh, one of the things that, um, that we did this past week, Friday night, we had... Uh, Secret Church event, which was uh, uh, basically a, a nighttime Bible study, 6 p.m. to around midnight, where uh, 62 of us, we were blessed to have 62 people here, uh, six different churches represented, we had about 50, 55 of our people, and uh, we had five different nations represented here, and all we did all night was through simulcast, uh, we prayed and we studied God's Word along with 60 something thousand people from around the globe, from every state, from hundreds of countries. And it was about this book. It was about this supernatural, wonderful book. But this book can also be very dangerous. It can be very dangerous. It can be very helpful. It's, it has the, the words of life in it. It tells us about Jesus and the gospel. But it can also be very dangerous, especially when we come to verses like this, the golden rule, which it doesn't matter what culture you go to, most people have heard in some way, shape, or form, a a version of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
And it's because of its presence in one form or another in so many of the world's religions that the golden rule is actually used to discredit Christianity by accusing it of being essentially the same as other religions. Y'all see that? <clears throat> Take, for instance, uh, Hinduism. This is the sum of duty. Do not unto other, others which would cause you pain if done to you. Buddhism, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Islam, one of, the, one of you truly, once you truly believe, okay, one of you truly believes until he, one of you does not truly believe until he wishes for his brother what he wishes for himself. Got it that time. Uh, the Baha'i faith, ascribe not to any soul that which uh, you would not ascribe to yourself and say not that which thou doest not. It's all in King James language, so I'm kind of having a difficult time. Jainism, a man should wander about treating all creatures as he himself would be treated. Confucianism, never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. Scientology, try to treat others as you would want them to treat you. And even atheists claim this as a moral principle based on utilitarian uh, ethics and, and things like that. And so a lot of people look at that and they look at the words of Jesus and they say, well, see, that's just proof that all religions are the same. They're all the same, essentially. But does the fact that so many claim this truth or a similar truth make it untrue? If many religions tell us to not murder, does that make Jesus any less true if He were to say it? Or, or and this is the point, does it reflect the conscience that God has given all mankind? Just because all mankind knows that it's wrong to murder does not mean that when Jesus comes along and says, don't murder, that what He is saying is on par with other religious figures. Romans 2, verses 14 through 15. So when Gentiles, Paul says, who do not have the law, instinctively do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Just because Jesus and Muhammad say the sky is blue doesn't mean that Jesus is wrong or false, and it doesn't mean that Muhammad made the skies. Jesus made the skies, and he calls them blue. So a lot of the world's religions have picked up on this, and they, they quote some form of a moral reciprocation, treating others as you would want to be treating, or negatively put, to not treat others as you don't want to be treated. But it, it, in the least, it, it doesn't uh, diminish in the least Jesus' teachings about how we should live in relationships with one another on planet Earth as human beings. Furthermore, just, just to say that, that's enough. <clears throat> but then on another level, there are some very big differences between the golden rule that Jesus teaches and the golden rules of other religions. What is different about the golden rule that Jesus teaches? How is what he is saying any different from what these other world religions have said or are saying? The first giant difference, giant difference, is actually found in verse 12. And it is, I'm going to give you three this morning, it is that the golden rule of Jesus, of Christianity, is guided by the Bible. It is guided by the Holy Bible. It is connected to the Bible. It is guided by the Bible. Look what he says in uh, chapter 7, verse 12. 
Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Confucius doesn't say that. Scientology doesn't say that. Jesus is saying it's grounded in the Word of the only true God. Jesus doesn't say do unto others as you think you want them to treat you or as you think or understand they want to be treated. The Golden Rule's got a lot of flack from people because they, people will come along, people that don't know God and people that are examining this rule, and they say, well, the problem is it's ethnocentric. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it's going to turn into whatever the culture deems appropriate. It's going to be relative on some level. Just like in some cultures, you know, it's appropriate to walk up to somebody and give them a hug. In other cultures, it's appropriate to walk up and give them a handshake. In other cultures, you don't make eye contact. Uh, In some cultures, uh, you have to make eye contact or it's seen as disrespectful. And so on some level, this rule is just not going to work for humanity. And it's because their standard is wrong. Jesus never said that the basis was cultural. And He never said, get this, He never actually says that the standard is how you want to be treated. Isolation. In isolation. Jesus is making an assumption here. He's making an assumption that the follower of Christ wants to be treated and wants to treat others according to biblical principles. It's not up to us to decide how we want to be treated and how we want to treat others the standard is the bible and he says that the golden rule biblically interpreted and guided sums up all of those instructions from god this is why we need to study the bible in context instead of isolating some of these verses and that's what what uh, david platt talked about friday night he talked about this so often is that we we have to understand the context of the scriptures So often in our cultural Christianity, we speak in verses, not passages. We understand in cliches, not context. And you can't take this little phrase of Jesus and isolate it out here to the side. And because it seems so profound and because it seems so wonderful, isolate that and and, and make that Christianity. If it's not attached to Christ and if it's not attached to His Word, then it's not right. And so Jesus never intended that the standard would be our particular desires or our particular sins. There are some people, this is another thing just just think about. If the ultimate standard of treating others as you want to be treated is you, then you are perfect. But you're not. Your standard of how you want to be treated is always going to be off in one way or another. There are some people that You know, they don't want to hold anybody else accountable because they don't want to be held accountable. That's how they want to be treated. That's how we got to the mess that we're in, where churches don't hold one another accountable. It's because, hey, that's their business, that's their marriage. We don't really want to get into those issues. We don't really want to embarrass them. We We don't want to cause them problems. And we end up denying so much of God's plan for how we as a people grow together and fight sin. Amen? Matthew 18 tells us how to hold one another accountable in corrective church discipline. We have much in regards to instructive church discipline, but but there's that uh, that other aspect where we, as sheep of the shepherd, we go astray, and that's where 
God wants us to work through one another, to reprove one another, to rebuke, to exhort, to encourage, to restore one another. That's the whole purpose of it. To restore one another through correcting one another and encouraging one another and forgiving one another. But we don't do that. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, all of these issues. And I've I've come to one conclusion. Either we are unholy and disobedient in regards to this, or we are the most holy church on the face of the planet. So are we going to obey God corporately when He says to hold one another accountable? Every single member of this church, when you sign that church covenant, you check a box there that says, I want to be held accountable. And that doesn't mean that you know, the pastor's going to come and micromanage you. But it does mean that you're signing up for something different, something more than just coming and sitting in a seat and listening to a sermon. You're signing up to be a part of a family, part of a community, part of a team that is growing together to fight sin and to fight for the kingdom of God. And we need each other for that. We need to hold each other accountable. I need that accountability in my life and have benefited from that kind of accountability in my life. The church will not have the life of God in it if we don't become obedient to God's standards of how to treat others as we would want to be treated, not our standards. We can even develop sinful things in our lives that are preferences, and we can say, well, you know, I'm going to excuse that sin in that person's life because I've got it in my life. And that's how I want to be treated. And so just think about the logic of that. Jesus is not saying that you are the ultimate standard of how to, and your preferences and your desires and even your sins are the ultimate standard for how you ought to treat one another. He's assuming that you're biblical. He's assuming that you're, that you're going along with His Word. That you're in line with His commands. And He knows that His commands, if you're a disciple of Christ, those are the true desires of your heart. That's what you really want. Deep down on the deepest level, that's what I want as a follower of Christ. I want to obey His law. And as David said, I want to love His law and follow it. I want to value it more than my necessary food, more than silver or gold. And so the law, it's guided by the laws of the Bible, by the rules that God lays out. We also can't separate this golden rule summary of the law from how Jesus would later on, even in the same book, summarize the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, uh, verses 34 through 40. If you want to turn there, you can. Matthew 22, just a few pages over. Jesus says, but when the Pharisee, or uh, Matthew says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment or the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So see, it's very similar to what he said in Matthew 7. On these two laws depend all of the law and the prophets. Here he's giving another summary, except he's taking it a step further. The golden rule is about love. The law and the prophets, it's about love. Loving God and loving one another according to the Bible. 
So what is love? Let me define love this way for you. Love is choosing to live your life for the ultimate good of another. Love is choosing. You don't fall in love. That's pop culture garbage. You don't fall in love. You choose to love. That's what gets us through difficult times in marriages, in relationships. That's what allows us to forgive one another when we sin against one another. That's how the church is going to compete against this epidemic of divorce that's happening in our culture is that we choose to love. When we buy into the notion, the false notion about falling into love and love is a feeling and, and all of this stuff, we're no longer following the Bible. The Bible. Love is choosing to live your life for the ultimate good of another. What is the ultimate good of another? that they would know God and that they would be conformed to Christ Jesus. That's why if you're a real biblical church, everything you're doing in your personal life, everything you're doing in your family life, everything you're doing in the life of your church, and everything you're doing for your community and for the world is to see people know God and conformed to Christ. How are you doing with that standard of love? Are you choosing to live your life for the ultimate good of another? Two things about love. First, regarding love and regarding the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule is not about being polite to people. Right? <clears throat> Listen, little Jimmy. You just need to be nice to people and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Just be polite. Say yes, ma'am, no, sir. Things like that. That's great. The golden rule is not about being polite. It's about giving your life to people. It's not about loving others when you feel like it or when a situation merely arises or God provides that opportunity. It's a, and it's not about random acts of kindness. It's about having a continual lifestyle of love towards others, sacrificial love towards others. If a Christian, if a follower of Christ is not continually loving, then they aren't living As Christians, we have so many commands from God about serving and, and giving and witnessing and making disciples and loving one another. And the golden rule isn't something separate from that. It draws all of these things together. We are to be looking for ways to love others biblically. To love others biblically is to use the Bible standards and instructions to seek their ultimate good, which again is the knowledge of God and conformity to Christ. And so love is proactive. I think so often when we think of the golden rule and when we think of Christianity, though we may not consciously act this way, we are so often in defense mode. Um, we're not proactive. We're not proactive. We're not out looking for things to do. We're just trying to live peacefully. We're trying to live politely. But we're not being proactive. God is calling us to be a proactive people people that are loving looking for opportunities to love others looking for opportunities to give and to serve and to share the gospel and to lay down our lives we are looking for opportunities to shine the light of christ to be the salt of the earth the light of the world secondly love is not only proactive but it's reactive when evil is done against us the golden rule causes us to respond to hate with love. I want to uh, introduce 
um, member of our church, friend of ours, uh, Hamanta Devkota. Hamanta's from the country of Nepal, and I've, I've told you in months past, Hamanta's been interning with us and, and also studying at South Arkansas Community College. And next semester, he's getting ready to go to the BMA Seminary in Jacksonville, Florida, and he's going to study God's Word some more and study how to minister for Christ. And, and Hamanta, at this point, is wanting to, to go back to his country and to reach people for the Lord. So we've, we've been blessed to have this man with us. And um, he's going to come, and he's going to talk to you about love being reactive. He's going to tell you some of his story. And so please be in prayer for him, and, and uh, I know you're going to be blessed by what he has to tell you. Come on. Good morning, church. As Brother Josh has already introduced me, I'm Himonta and I'm from Nepal. I'm very glad to be here and to be part of this church. And I have been learning a lot from pastors here. And they have been teaching me about God, how we need to live our life. And I got this opportunity to go to BME Seminary with these wonderful pastors and with your help. Thank you for that. Today, I'm going to tell you something about me, how I got Jesus, how I knew his name, how I became Christian, how I became believer, and why I want to praise his name and, and bring many believers for his kingdom. Nepal is a country where there are more than 80% Hindu people, and there are about 9% Buddhist and about 5% Muslim. And we have only 1.4% Christians in Nepal. I'm very thankful to God that I'm Christian now, I'm a believer. To be a Christian in Nepal, it's very hard. I was born in Hindu family. My father was devoted Hindu. My mother was Hindu. I was born and raised in a Hindu family. So uh, when I was six, I got the opportunity to become Christian. Uh, in Nepal, when I was small, there was a terrorist group called Maoist, and they were fighting against the government in Nepal. My father was a supporter of one of the government party. He was not involved in political activities, but he was just a supporter. Uh, and he was trying to develop our society, our village, which was in very remote place of Nepal. And his name, he was gaining his fame. And one day, those Maoists, there were more than 15 people who came to our house. I don't remember the exact number. It was around 9.30. They came to our house. My father was trying to worship his God. And I was, I was standing near my father, trying to light up his candle. And those terrorist group came to my house, and they went to my father's room. I was in front of him. There were many number. I couldn't count. I was terrified. And then they had guns and whatever they required. And they killed my father. They shot him in his chest and in his head, and he died on the spot. It was very sad. And I don't know if they were trying to kill our whole family. My mother escaped. And then my brother, I have 
two siblings, my sister and my brother. My brother, he was around four years old and I was around six and a half years old. My mother escaped from there and I could hardly escape. My brother was sleeping, he was very small, so he didn't notice anything. And then we were sleeping that night. Everything went so rapid and then we couldn't handle it. Uh, our villagers, they couldn't come and help us because those terrorist people, they had been to all of their houses and they have already threatened them. They had told my villagers that if they come and help our family, they would kill them too. So he died and we, we couldn't sleep that night properly. Anyway, we went to bed and we woke up the ne next day and my, br my brother, he was only around four years old, so he told me that he just noticed bullet shots, like he heard the sound, but he didn't know our father was dead. And then after that, we buried our father, and, and I got opportunity to go to orphanage. My mother was emotionally sick. She couldn't take care of our family. She was she, she, she could hardly take care of herself. So me and my brother, we went to orphanage and my sister was being taken care of by one of our uncle. And let me tell you about the orphanage. That orphanage was led by Korean missionaries and they were Christians. They were spreading the gospel. They were teaching about Jesus. They came to our country and then at that time, our country, it was not a secular country. We didn't have freedom to choose religion. Our country was Hindu country, and Buddhism was allowed there. So it was very hard for those Korean missionaries. They, they were risking their life coming to Nepal and spreading the word of God, trying to, try to make more Christians, trying to make disciples. And when I went there to the orphanage, my first service, I didn't, I didn't know what they were doing. They were all singing songs, and they were praying. In Nepal, many churches, they pray loud, and all of them pray at once. And I was like, what are they doing? I don't know. And I could hardly understand the word they were saying. They were, because I was not raised in a family where I heard the name of God all the time. And then we had a lot of gods, more than three million. So I could hardly know the name of God. And then that was different for me. I learned about Jesus slowly and gradually. I knew there was a Bible. I started learning the Bible. It was hard for me to, to learn all these things at the orphanage because I was far away from my parents. And as I was going through Bible, I started learning about Jesus, learning about God, the only son, Jesus. He came to this earth and died for us. Being God coming to this earth and dying for humans who he created, it is, it is a great story. 
and great truth. Being God sacrificing his own son for the, for the things which he created, not being, not being in the heaven, coming to this earth, being very poor, growing up in a poor family, and having to travel different places because of different rigs. I, I understood Jesus a little bit at that moment. And then later on, when I read about the cross, how he died for us, how he could forgive those people who were crucifying him, I want you to look at Luke 23, verse 34. It is written, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He was being crucified, and he had a lot of sufferings before that. I think everybody is aware of that. And he was in his deathbed. He was about to die. He was on the cross. He had all this physical pain going around him. He was in lack of love because everybody was hating him. And the relationship between his father and him, he could feel it no more because he was suffering. And then there is another verse when, where he, Jesus has said, Father, Father, there's, let, me, let, me, let me see that verse. I think it's in Matthew. Anyway, Father, why have you forsaken me? It's like that. So, there is, we can see that there is gap between his father and him on the cross. And then, I could feel a little bit about my life. Now, there, there was gap between me and my father because he was gone and I was there in this world. And, and his love being God and dying on the cross... It, it tossed my heart. So at that moment, I decided to be Christian. And I was not a believer then. I decided to be Christian. I was learning about him more and more. I started studying Bible more than ever. I started praying. And then I, I was baptized in 2014, uh, around April. And I was very happy that I was Christian. 
and and those Korean missionaries, they are still there. They are helping other Nep Nepali students, teaching them, them about Jesus. And then, you know, when I heard about Jesus' love and when I read about his love, I was thinking about the, those people who killed my father. And I had seen their face. I had, and they were living around our own society. And... I remember God's love, Father's love, Jesus' love, Jesus dying on the cross. And then because of Jesus' love, I was able to forgive those people who killed my father. And it was very tough. It was very hard for me to do that. But remembering what God did for us, it was very easy. You know, in our life, we have our different stories. We have our different challenges to face. My story was it was hard for me to forgive those people who killed my father. What is your story? What is that one thing which is very hard for you to do in your life? What is that one thing which is there between you and your family, you and your neighbors, you and strangers, which is holding you back from forgiving them or from reaching out to them. Remember God's love. You and, my, you and me, we all need to remember his love and then try to reach out to other people, teach him about God, teaching about Jesus, teach them about his love, his forgiveness. Jesus is always the same. He never changes. I want you to look at Hebrew 13 verse 8. When we are in our hard times, when we are suffering, we feel that there is no God or God is not helping us. He's not listening to us. He's very much far away from us. He doesn't care about us, all these kind of things. And w when we are very happy, sometimes we forget God. And then and we are by ourselves having all, all kind of fun going around us, forgetting God. Sometimes we remember, it's not that we always forget God. But remember, when, some, when, you are, when we are close to God, we feel like He's with us and He's helping us all the time. But when we are far, we think that God is not caring us, God, God is not loving us. And this verse, Hebrew 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember his love. He died for us on the cross because of his love. His love never changes like he never changes. We have his word with us, this word, this Bible. And we have his love. If we call his name, he will hear us because he has heard people when they prayed him and then he will hear us when we pray to him because he is always same he never changes
And don't feel ashamed to speak about his name to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your family members, to your children, to your spouse, and even to strangers. Because God came to this earth and he was always always caring about people around him. He was feeding those people. He was telling those people about God, his kingdom. And he was always caring about all those people around him. He was not thinking about himself, not thinking about his own disciples, not thinking about only Israel, but thinking about all people. And his commandment to love your neighbor like loving yourself, love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. I just want you to think about it in your heart and then try to reach towards your coworkers, towards your neighbors, towards your family. You know, we need one another, and the people who doesn't know Jesus needs you and me. And, and if you are not willing to tell them about Jesus, who is ready to tell them? We know about his love. We know about his kingdom. And now we are saved. Why don't we be ready to save other people who are not saved yet? So I just want you to encourage and, and reach out to people near around you. And remember that God loves you. And he's always with you. He never changes even though we change. Thank you. Love is reactive. The religions of the world can't help you or me forgive like that. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Forgiveness is something that eats at our hearts. But Jesus said that if you know Him, you must forgive others as He has forgiven you. Love is reactive. Two other things very quickly about the golden rule that set it apart, set Jesus uh, apart and what he says apart. First, that it's guided by the Bible. Second, it's grounded in the gospel. The golden rule is not a works-based righteousness system. That's what all the other religions are teaching. Jesus is never teaching that. Don't take the golden rule aside and say, well, I just need to treat others the way that, that I want to be treated and divorce that, separate that from the gospel. It's the problem with isolating verses, with compartmentalizing the truths of the Scripture in our mind. We should never disconnect anything in our minds about the Christian life from the Gospel, which starts it all, which fuels it all, which is the end of it all. Countless people in churches have deadly thinking, deadly thinking, trying to do random acts of kindness in order to make God happy with them. What did Jesus say earlier in this sermon, though, that He's preaching? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He is the very fulfillment of this rule that He is giving to us. 
please understand that the golden rule being lived out by the Christian comes only after being given life by Jesus. I'll say that again. The golden rule being lived out by the Christian comes only after being given life by Jesus. The standard of the golden rule only leaves us condemned because we all fall short. Either we end up in despair over our lack of obedience to God's standard or we end up in pride and deception thinking that we're doing what God has asked and earning His righteousness, but He has told us that our righteousness is filthy rags. You can look at the golden rule this morning, friend, as a, as a, a definite proof of your need of salvation, of your need of Jesus. You have not come close, none of us have, to keeping this law perfectly, to doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. You have sinned against God's law, against His holiness, in your treatment of other people. And you know that to be true. Whether it be lying or stealing or lusting or hatred or deception or bitterness, or anger, whatever you want to call it, you've fallen short. And so the golden rule, actually, when we look at the rest of the Scriptures and the, the Gospel that is grounded in, it calls us to Jesus, friends. It calls us to cling to Him, to cling to the cross, to say, I have failed so miserably, but God, give me Christ. He has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled the prophets. He has obeyed the Father. Let me cling to His obedience. Let me cling to His righteousness. Let me cling to His life. And He will conform me. He will allow me to begin to live out this golden rule in my life. Not for acceptance, but because of love. Because of a changed heart. Because of the righteousness of God. Finally, not only is it guided by the Bible, grounded in the Gospel, but it glorifies God. The golden rule is meant to glorify God. First, it gives glory to our Savior. Hamanta mentioned what Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them before, because they know not what they do. Our Savior, He came and He went beyond. He went beyond doing for others what He would want them to do for Him. He went beyond the golden rule in that sense. Instead, He did for others what they could in no way do for Him. And what He knew they would not do for Him. Think about that. Think about the glory of that. Think about the love of that. Think about the mercy of that. That He went beyond His own rule. That He did what nobody would do. He did what nobody could do to save you. To do what you could not do and would not do for Him. What you could not repay. If you want to get glory and wonder out of the golden rule today, don't look first at yourself and your performance and whether you've measured up to it. Look first at the Savior. The One who exceeded the standards. The One who fulfilled it perfectly. And marvel, wonder at the love and the mercy and the beauty of Jesus Christ. The One and Only. And finally, it gives glory to the Father. The golden rule in our day and age, even in Christian churches, can become a humanistic principle. What do I mean by that? Humanism, basically, as I want to define it to you, humanism is basically 
the belief that the end of all things is the happiness of man. That the end of all things is the happiness of man. And so we can look at the golden rule, do unto others as they would have you do unto And underneath that, we can, we can load it down with humanism. That it's all about the happiness of man. It's, it's all about everybody getting along. It's all about man having joy and man having good things. And we can make it so humanistic. But the golden rule isn't ultimately about us. It's about the name and the reputation and the image in us of our Creator, our God. The chief end of all being is not the happiness of man. The chief end of all being is the glory of God. You and I exist and the golden rule exists for us to live out in our lives so that God would be made famous, so that God would be magnified, so that He would be glorified in all of creation as He alone rightly deserves. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's about living the way our Creator created us to live. Why should we live as gospel-freed people conforming our lives to a golden rule life? Because the Father is worthy of our lives to be lived in this way. He formed us. Because of our sin, we were separated. But now, He is redeeming us and He is conforming us to the image of His beloved Son. And we should want to live out our lives in a way that magnifies and exalts Him. Three times in the Gospels, the Father spoke. First time was at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Second time was at the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my Son. Listen to Him. He's talking to Peter and James and John. Listen to Him. And the third time was on Palm Sunday, the last week of Jesus' life, the last week of His earthly ministry, during, during a, a, a conversation and in a dialogue, Jesus was, was troubled in His Spirit and He prayed to the Father. He prayed to His Father. And he said, Father, glorify Your name. And the Father answered back in a voice that many people heard, but they doubted. He answered back these words. Nine words. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And a week later, the Father would glorify His name. He would raise His Son from the grave. He would defeat the death that had taken His Son. And He would show His supreme power over sin and death and hell and the grave. Alone in victory. Triumphant in life over death. Our hope this morning and what is that God would get glory through our lives through us, through empowering us through His Holy Spirit to live out the golden rule. Think about this, friends, as I close. God has enabled us through His gift of the Son, through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross, and through His gift of the Holy Spirit to us. He has allowed us to live out the golden rule in conformity to Christ as freed people by the Gospel. He has allowed us to live this way, to live out His good laws. It's possible for us who were once His enemies. It's a glorious thing. Because rather than requiring the golden rule of us in order to be with Him, he has come to us and accomplished the golden rule and is accomplishing the golden rule for us in us and through us. It's God 
who is living this way. And He will give us the strength to do it in our own lives. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we glorify Your name today. I thank You for the gift of forgiveness. That God, even the, the hardest things that come against us because of Your Son and through Your Spirit and the strength that He gives us, we can forgive. We can pass on that judgment to You and we can open our hearts and we can love our enemies. Just as Jesus said, we can love our enemies. God, we can do anything in Your name. We can do anything by Your power. And God, we thank You for these words of Jesus. Help us not to get them twisted, to get them mixed up. Help us know the golden rule is guided by the Bible, grounded in the Gospel, and is all for Your glory. That's why we worship You today, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.